2: Happy Thursday to you. I'm James Rapine. This is the Locked On Bengals Podcast. A lot to get to, including Joe Goodberry, coming up in about 60 seconds. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW host James Rapine. This is the Locked On Bengals Podcast. If you're new, we do it every single day. Get you up to date on the latest news, information, highlights, and more here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Make sure you check out LockedOnBengals.com. latest mock draft up now. Seven rounds, all Bengals, eleven picks. You should check it out right now at LockedOnBengals.com. But the the one thing that I want to touch on real quick uh, before we get to Joe is Chris Baker. And the Bengals signed Chris Baker. And I tweeted out um when I found out it was one year three million. And I get it, right? He's a high-end talent, at least a lot of people view him that way at least a year ago. Signed a big deal with Tampa Bay, flames out, had some locker room issues in Tampa Bay last year, and now he's free, he's released, the Bengals get him, one year, three million, everyone says bargain, totally get where you're coming from. Here's why it's frustrating. Here's here's why I, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Those are the signings that the Bengals point to and say, oh, see, we did stuff. We were active. See, we spent money. And that's my concern about this offseason. Because if you read my offseason plan, it's at LockedOnBengals.com as well. I need them to add to the line in free agency. I need them to do that. And if they don't do that, I don't see how this team, barring something, like what's different? You got to change the line. You got to get better on the line, of course. And I think you do that by spending in free agency. So now... They have $3 million in Baker, if he makes the team, which I assume he would And maybe not. Maybe it's half guaranteed, half a roster bonus. doesn't count towards the cap. There's all different types of um, things that go into contracts. But my concern is, if not, then it's one of those things where you add them. It reminds me of when the Bengals, I praised them for this. They went out and they got Brandon LaFell and they got Carlos Dansby. And I was like... Those are big pieces. Those are huge pieces. They're going to help. And I think people will view Baker the same way. Oh, well, he has talent. I saw him play. He was a big free agent signing last year. And it has really nothing to do with him being on the team. It has to do with oh, or him, the player. It's just, I don't want Marvin Lewis in June or, in hell, in April, during OTAs when the, the rookies come in. Rookie minicamp to be like, yeah, we we improved in free agency. We added Chris Baker. <laughs> and I get it. They can't improve yet in free agency. But I could totally see the scenario. Yeah, we went from Pat Sims and spent more money at a D tackle spot. We, we went and we extended our center because we believe in Russell Bodine. And they just move on from there. I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to be business as usual for the Bengals. Do I like that they're active, at least looking at some of these guys? Sure. But they've done it before. It's nothing new. Now, if they do this, along with another guy in free agency, along with the right tackle, okay, now we're talking. But to me, this move by itself, think about this. They're going to have close to $8 million tied up in Michael Johnson and Chris Baker. That could be a right tackle. That could be a center who's light years better than Russell Bodine. So that's how I'm thinking. So I'm not trying to be negative. I just know, and I've seen this before—the Carlos Dansby's of the world, the Brandon LaFell's of the world. And Brandon LaFell worked out, <laughs> like that's the thing—he worked out. But is he worth the money you're paying him? Is Chris Baker worth three million when you could take that three million, combine it with Michael Johnson, and get a right tackle? It's just how I'm thinking. I'm not trying to be negative. I promise. Yeah, uh, every <laughs> every single—that was a weird sound. Uh, um. Every single week, Joe Goodberry joins us here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. He is writing for The Athletic. Really good work there. I, I encourage you to subscribe to that. Check out his work. And, Joe, I appreciate the time, as always. So much to dive into. So much to discuss. But first, what are you working on for The Athletic? What do you got coming up?
0: Well, I'm going to have a free agency preview. Trying to put, it, put together a plan for a few offensive linemen to target. I'm definitely going to look at guys that were cut because that won't affect the Bengals' compensatory plan, and that's the key to their free agency. So besides that, I'm still going through positions and looking at each one of those. I started writing about how the they, I think the combine directly impacted who they're looking at at 12th and maybe even 46. So if I can finish that in the next couple of days, I'll send that out and get that published. But if I don't, then sometimes things just die into the abyss of, of the Internet.
2: <laughs> well, make sure you check out all of Joe's work at The Athletic, and he's on Twitter. At Joe Goodberry. A lot of people were asking me like, man, James, you've been spending so much time on quarterbacks. And that's why I figured out it was probably time to get you on to talk about the offensive lineman in this draft. And I I talked about it yesterday on the podcast. And I had a mock draft that came out on Wednesday and I was looking at different different prospects and and the ones, obviously it's natural for the Bengals and and the fans to focus on left tackle at the 12th pick. And outside of the The kid from Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson, who could probably play all five spots. At least a lot of people think so. I know I've seen you talk about it as well. Outside of him, and I don't think he falls the 12, I'm not sure if there's anyone worthy of the 12th pick. I know fans are so hell-bent on picking uh, a left tackle at 12, or tackle at 12 for that matter. But when you look at this draft, the 12th pick... Is there going to be a guy there, whether it's McGlinchey or one of these other guys, that you think, yeah, the Bengals should go ahead and do it and use the 12th pick on him?
0: If we're talking strictly value and aligning it with a player's tape or grade, however you want to say that, um, no, it doesn't match up. And it, it, The reason it really matches up for the Bengals and why people are projecting that next offensive lineman to go at twelve is because because the Bengals have such huge need at that position. And it's not just like, oh, they really need a left tackle. They need a left, a right tackle, right guard, and a center as of right now. Uh, and that opens it up for them, too, to be honest. It, it depends on what you want. It, it, the guy a lot to mock is Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame. And McGlinchey may have the safest floor, but the lowest ceiling out of all these guys. He's probably the best coached. Uh, coming out of Nordane, their offensive line coach is now the offensive line coach for the Bears. Uh, you see how him and Nelson play together and play next to each other. I think even there's even times uh, where Quint Nelson and their their synchronization together, him and McGlinchey, make McGlinchey look better than he, he is. But we got a pretty good left guard in Clint Bowling, so he should be able to jump right in there. And the, the thing that really I like about McGlinchey is he's always. Decent. And I I actually compared him to Clint Bowling and his level of play you get at guard. It's not fantastic. It rarely stands out for some wild plays or wild blocks. But, you know, he's just consistent. You can depend on him. He's going to make some mistakes, but there's stuff that gets corrected. It's never the same thing over and over again. It's never like, oh, yeah, he's susceptible to the bull rush. It's like, ah, you know, that guy just got him that time, and that's that's what it is with McGlinchey. So I understand that pick, and that's the one I can get behind. I think when you start going on to other players, like a Connor Williams from Texas, uh, there's questions. And this tape from two years ago is fantastic. And I thought he was probably going to be a, a top-ten pick. And now people say that when they're like Cedric Oboehy. He would have been a top-ten pick had he been healthy. I disagree. I don't think the tape matched. But I think Connor Williams' tape did match until 2017, and he was dealing with a knee injury. And I don't know what else happened. If he had 15 extra pounds on him, But he looked slower. His his kick slide was was much choppier. He got beat around the corner easily on some speed rushes. His length looked like it was an issue. He couldn't get the guys. He couldn't control blockers with his length and get that punch in there first. Uh, There was times where I'm like, yeah, he's not a left tackle at all. In fact, I don't know if he's a right tackle. He's just kick him inside the guard, let him down block, and maybe he doesn't have that power right guard look to him or play style but he's probably going to be a really guard and it's kind of like, um, uh, Zach Martin for the Cowboys. I, I think he could be that type of guard where he's a top 10 guy and you're happy. You took him at 15 to 20. Uh, at the same time, he tested really well. So, uh, Connor Williams only with 33 inch arms. You'd like 34 at tackle, but the Bengals have drafted guys with 33 before and played them at tackle. So I don't think it's out of the realm. I think he got himself back in the conversation with a good combine. Uh, and, I can understand that pick because, like I said, they need a guard. Also, you draft a Connor Williams and you say, within the first four weeks, he's yeah, maybe he's not a tackle. He's, these these guys, long, quick guys, these long speed rushers are really getting them. And our right guard spot still isn't answered by the guys on the roster. You kick Connor Williams inside and you let him play right guard, and you probably got a Pro Bowl player for a long time. And I, I, I think if you're open to that. That makes him a good pick. I'm concerned the Bengals aren't open to that. There was a lot They drafted Andre Smith, and there were a lot of people that said, Andre Smith may be a Pro Bowl guard. And he ended up just being an okay right tackle for his career. And maybe he would have been better had the Bengals kicked him inside at some point. And I remember he, Marvin Lewis was asked about it a lot, and they would always say, nope, we drafted him that high to play tackle. He's going to play tackle. He's a tackle for us. I would hate to have that same outlook for a guy like Connor Williams at left tackle or right tackle, wherever he plays, and not want to kick him inside to a position where you can maximize his talent. Uh, Again, I still like the upside, and maybe you're getting the guy he was two years ago. I also think the best out of the group after Quentin Nelson is Isaiah Wynn from Georgia. I think he's got the best tape. Is he a guard? Yes, he's a left tackle for Georgia. He's going to have to kick in the guard because he's 6'2 and some change with 33 and I believe eighths arms. So you're like, okay, a little bit short, but the arm length at six, almost three is 33 and a half almost. That's not too bad. That's a, that's a decent length. He's got eight and a half inch hands though. It's probably smaller than yours, James, smaller than mine. And that's kind of concerning, but at the same time, his hands and his punch and his hand control and and hand strength, maybe the best in the class outside of Quentin Nelson. And he's got good feet. He's athletic. He plays very strong in the run game. He's very smooth in space, very aware He's a good offensive lineman, a very good offensive lineman. There's only been maybe one guy I can think of that's like sub-6-4 that's able to play to tackle, and that's Calvin Beecham. He was drafted by the Steelers in the seventh round. Uh, God, I feel like that was like 2009. He plays for the Jets, now playing left tackle. But he has survived that tackle for a long time, and I think when is the second-best offensive lineman in this draft? I just When I look at the Bengals' filters, for who they've drafted over the past 15 years now, it doesn't seem like that's the kind of guy they'll take to play tackle. Now, if they want to say, you know, screw tackle with the first pick, we need a good player. We need a, we'll we take a guard. We'll take a center. I think it has added value. I think Connor Williams has added value at that point. I think James Daniels, for as rare as he is, the center out of Iowa, Because of his athleticism, because he's technically sound, he plays with great balance, great feet, his ability to get in front of nose tackles and D tackles on wide zone and on reach blocks and turn them inside out and flip his hips and get a little bit of torque from that midsection is rare. It's Travis Frederick type stuff for the Cowboys, and the Cowboys took Frederick way before other people uh, thought they would. And maybe the Bengals offensive line coach Pollock, who was with the Cowboys, can convince them that, hey... Here's a guy that we can build our offense around because that center position allows you to run left, right, and middle uh, by his ability to get out in front. And for the wide zone stuff that he coached in Dallas, that makes sense for Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. Uh, I think I think James Daniels is a, a slam dunk pick if they can get him. But, again, we're going to talk about value with all these guys that I just mentioned. And they're all probably going to get drafted, if the Bengals don't touch them, between, like, 15 and 30. And that makes you consider... Is it worth it to pick a guy, even though you really like him at 12, when the maximum value is probably at 20? the Bills hold 21 and 22, maybe they want to go up and get a quarterback in a dream scenario, and you're able to move back to one of those picks, maybe both of those picks, and get your guy there. Uh, I think those are best-case scenarios. I think at worst-case, and I don't even know if it's that bad, is you take McGlinchey at 12 because you know you have a solid starter from day one.
1: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
2: We're joined by Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. And Joe, you hinted there at the end, and I think it's ideal. If they're going to go tackle... And there's all of these different prospects. I mean, you mentioned three or four guys that you'd be fine from Williams to McGlinchey to to Win, etc. Daniels trade back one will probably be there, and and that's that's where you get the value because one of the guys will fall. You'll add another pick. You'll be able to address. Let's say you take uh, McGlinchey, or let's say you take uh, the, the one of the guards, Win. Well, we know it's a deep center draft, and we'll get into that in a second. And then they can use that on the center later in the draft. Uh, but but I do have to ask you about Quentin Nelson, because I don't think it's a pipe dream that some of these teams could get quarterback happy. I don't think it's a pipe dream that the Colts could be silly and not take him to protect Andrew Luck, and that maybe he falls to six or seven. And when he does, if he does, is his tape, what you see from him, worth it to give up um, the 46 pick, to give up maybe a 2019 third-round pick and the second-round pick this year to move up to get him... Based on what you've seen on film, the Bengals love their picks. They have eleven of them in this draft. Is it worth trading up to get a guy like Quentin Nelson?
0: He's as close as you get to a perfect offensive line prospect. To be honest, he's the Andrew Luck um, of offensive line prospects. Where I think all thirty-two teams are going to say slam dunk, top five on their draft board. All thirty-two, and that's rare that you can find a, ten teams to agree on something and he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the strength, he's got that nasty demeanor, he's got the attitude, he's got the production, he's got the tape, everything, slam dunk across the board. Um, there's been other good guard prospects, like a Chance and or Jonathan Cooper that go top ten in bad classes. I think this one has the strength of quarterback at the top, and that always pushes guys down a little bit. The best guard I thought I ever seen was uh, David DeCastro, and obviously he didn't go top ten, and so – you know, it, it, sometimes these guys don't go where they're projected because of value. Uh, non-pass rushing linebackers have a chance to drop. Guards have a chance to drop. Nose tackles that have a chance to drop. And it, it could be there. It could happen. Now, I think you don't want to move to three, four, five, six, where you have to give up big picks. But if you get into seven, eight, nine, ten range, and it's only a third rounder, or it's a third and a fifth, where they've got multiple picks, I think you do it. And I, I think you go and you get the best prospect at the biggest need position, the guy that's a slam dunk, if you can't trade back. You know, this is. If you're telling me that, let's say I've seen Mox and the Dolphins sit at 11 and they get Quentin Nelson and the Big take McGlinchey at 12, that sucks. I mean, that's that awful. Is, yeah, that's a one pick difference, but it might as, be, it might as well be a 20 pick difference because. You could say Nelson can go uh, five and McGlinchey can go 25, and that wouldn't surprise anybody. So that is how you'd similar situation, I guess, to the Bengals of, of Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross. You know, they get the third guy out of that, and they're just okay with taking that value at that spot because they really like the guy. Uh, now, we all like the John Ross pick. You know, I'm talking you and I. But yeah. at the same time, you move back five spots, you increase your value. It makes it easier to swallow, and at the same time, you you gain a pick and de- you know third round, fourth round, fifth round, whatever the case may be. It just it, it makes it easier, but at the same time, um, I, when I just focus on Nelson, I would, in a lot of scenarios, move up two or three spots just to make sure I secure him. I just think he's got too many suitors in the top ten that, at the end of the day, he probably doesn't even make it past like seven or eight.
2: Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Let's uh let's switch it then in in trading back, and certainly that's something that they could consider. Um, but let's say they don't. Let's say, because in my mock this week, uh you could check it out at LockedOnBengals.com, I had him taking Derwin James, and the linebackers were gone, Edmonds was gone, Smith was gone, um McGlinchy wasn't gone. And I just I view it as the Bengals and and we've saw it last year with defensive line. If they feel like there's depth at offensive line in general. I don't think they're going to reach Like it or not, the, the knowing how the Bengals view it, they're going to be like, yeah, we have Cedric Abwehi, we have Jake Fisher at tackle, we have Bobby Hart, who we signed, and that doesn't sure, mean yeah. that they're going to be big players there for them, but we, we're not going to reach to get McGlinch if we don't love him. And so I had them taking James. How deep is this draft? After the, the four or five guys you've mentioned so far, how deep is it? What linemen could be there potentially? At 46, could the Bengals wait on offensive line and take a linebacker or take uh, a a safety in round one? If they do that, who's going to be there or who could potentially be there realistically with the the second round?
0: Here's the thing. I would break it up into two different positions when I say who's going to be there for day two on the offensive line. Um, Tackles and interior players. Uh, I think at tackle, it gets much scarier getting to that 46 pick. Now, there could be one of these top guys that drop a little bit, um, I've got for second-round guys Terrell Crosby out of Oregon, uh, Colton Miller, UCLA, Jamarco Jones from Ohio State. I None of them are complete prospects. In fact, Crosby, he had a terrible combine. I hate drafting with a premium pick. I hate drafting a guy that doesn't pass all the athletic filters because the odds are stacked against him at that point. Colton Miller slam dunk on the athletic measurables. His tape is just okay, there's flashes, there's good stuff. You think he's he's got issues with feet, um, sometimes with strength. Uh, sometimes he just gets beat with, with, with a power move to that inside arm or that inside shoulder, giving up that inside too much. He reminds me a lot of Jake Fisher as a prospect, and that's not a bad thing just because Fisher didn't pan out. I think the process is good there. I think you take athletes that have decent tape, that you can work through, and those are always good picks, whether they work out or not, because those are good decisions. So I'm fine with a Colton Miller. I think of Jamarco Jones, while he's got some length to him, he's got a little bit of athleticism to him. I don't think his tape is that good. I worry that he really doesn't have that killer instinct at times. I worry about him sometimes with late hands and late punches, which we've seen with Cedric Oblahi. I hate to throw his name out there, but you get some of those vibes at times. Uh, I think it gets scary. I think you maybe in the third or fourth, you got a Brian O'Neal who's a former tight end. He, he plays for Pitt. He's athletic. You can tell not everything is synced up. He really doesn't have that power yet, um, but he's really good in space. He locates guys in the run game and, and can take out linebackers a lot like Jake Fisher, again, former tight end too. Those guys block well in space. They're comfortable when they get out there. So the phone boost stuff, where really they they look their weakest. And it gets scary in that second and third round because I are you just going to trust the Colton Miller that you know has issues, but you like his upside? You are just going to put him at left tackle and really deal with a lot of the same issues you did last year, or are you going to say, fine, we're starting the oh way one more year or the first half of the year, and we'll try and develop Miller as fast as possible and get him in there? Um, so that's why I understand reaching at twelve, even though I I'm against it. Uh, I think once you get in the second and third round. These guys are missing something, whether that's experience, whether that's good tape, whether that's good measurables, length, or you know, a lot of these guys are getting kicked in the on Like an Austin Corbett from Nevada, I think his tape is really good, and he's he's missing the length. He's the kind of guy like the Packers have have made a name for, and their offensive line guys are all like left tackles, and they'll play them at left tackle, center, or left guard, right guard, right tackle, and they'll just. Give me a bunch of left tackles that don't have the length, and, and we'll figure out our offensive line from there. And they've had good success with it. He reminds me of, of exactly that, like a David Bakhtiari, and maybe wow. he'll be fine at tackle. Uh, but he's probably third-rounder, fourth-rounder, maybe. Uh, Alex Kepler out of Humboldt State, Division II, you want to take a chance on a prospect like this because the tape is so good because he held his own at the Senior Bowl. He didn't pass the athletic filters at the Combine, and his size, his length in particular, really say he's a guard. So that scares you off a little bit, but so you're going to wait until the third, fourth round for those type of guys, uh, because then it becomes neutral uh, risk, you know, to take one of those guys. So it gets scary. But if you're saying interior offensive line in day two, day you know, second, third round, maybe even into the fourth, you may get a center. I'm all for it. I think a guy, I think Isaiah Wynn could be there. I think Will Hernandez could be there. Both guards, I think, are slam dunks. If it wasn't for Quentin Nelson, we'd probably talk about winning Hernandez's top 20 picks, and they may go in that range anyways. But again, I think they could be there and maybe get a chance to be there by 46. Uh, I believe like a Braden Smith out of Auburn, He's kind of reminds me a lot of a Clint Bowling in terms of playing a lot in college and being a, a, a decent player without really having high upside but then i saw him at the combine i thought he looked really good i thought he moved really well he's really rocked up and cut up in a different way that that bowling is but i thought the same, i started to think huh, maybe he he's got more upside maybe he's a guy you you target in that uh second round 46 maybe he's there in the third round and he's a plug-and-play right guard for you and, and and you're able to move on that way i think billy price because of that injury, he, he's going to be there at 46. I think he could feel pretty confident that he's probably going to be there. Uh, I don't think his tape is that good. I think he is a plug-and-play starter with decent upside, but not like high-end change your offense around because of it. But for the Bengals, he, he's, a, he's a legit upgrade, whether that's at guard or center. I think even if you re-sign to Russell Bodine, you can draft a Billy Price because he can play guard for you. Uh, so that makes sense. I, I, and I think in the set for center, Daniels probably goes in the top 30 picks. Billy Price probably top 45 to 60. And then you've got a Frank Ragnow. you got mm-hmm. a Mason Cole, Ragnow from Arkansas. Cole, that was a left tackle, played other position, played center too for Michigan. Uh, he's in that kind of mold for the Bengals, and I, I think he's athletic. And I think there's a lot of upside left in him. He may go fourth round. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the fifth round, to be honest. But I'm thinking third, fourth round for Mason Cole. And I think that's the line where you start to get upgrades or at least instant upgrades for muscle boating. And for me, that's worth it. And interior offensive linemen is stacked in this draft. I think you can wait on O line. You could probably get a starter at center and guard in the third and fourth round if the chips fell for you in the right way. So um, I don't think you have to force offensive line with that first pick. But if you don't, you're probably not getting a day one starting tackle unless you get really lucky and someone drops.
2: Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Uh, Joe, and I know you, because I sent it to you, and I was like, hey, man, check this out and make sure it's all right. <laughs> My uh, off-season plan that, plan that I sent you for the Bengals. Here, here's yeah. what I would do, because from the sound of it, after talking to you, after trying to pay attention to this stuff as much as I can, there are some centers out there, free agent centers, that are going to be had that, that are really quality players. And I think doubling up, whether it's Bodine because they're comfortable and drafting one, th- that's fine. Just do that just because it makes them comfortable. And I can't ask them to, to be so crazy as to go what? out, go out get get someone that's better in free agency and draft one on the first couple of days of the draft. So they can do that. Same thing with the tackle spot. I get it. There aren't many left tackles. But instead of bringing back Andre Smith, who I need to come up with a nickname for him since I have a nickname for Andy Dalton and, and Cedric Abwehi, why not let him walk, sign one of these right tackles? You could also draft one at some point, and then that way, all of a sudden, a, a position, a question mark gets better. Center gets better. You, you have guard play with Clint Bowling. All of a sudden, now you're you're starting to round out the offensive line, like. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get a stud left tackle in free agency or this draft. But if they did those other things, then I could see why they'd get McGlinchey. Because then if you get McGlinchey at 12, you have a rookie behind Bodine and you could play the rookie at guard if you need to, opposite bowling or not. And and then you have a right tackle free agent that you paid money to. You're talking about a line that's like way, way better and the only you only signed one outside free agent and you just spent a couple draft picks. So I could get behind that as long as they're not saying, Oh, McGlinchy twelfth pick with Bodine and Andre Smith and there's our line. I think you can do right. it better than that.
0: I'm with that logic. Read that that last point there. If you're saying, All right, we re signed Bodine, we re sign Andre Smith because let's face it, so Andre Smith, he did give a boost a little bit to that whole line, but in the grand scheme of things, he wasn't much better than what you were getting. He was out a of boost Ablahian to nothing. Fisher. He was
2: like 5%, you know, five, exactly. from zero to five. Yeah.
0: Right. He gave you consistency that I think you didn't get with the Blahey and Fisher, but you know what? You got a little bit more of with those two guys you got a little bit more splash plays and blocks that Andre Smith can't get to and can't reach. Um, So it was kind of cost neutral when you look at it that way. You you like the stabilization and and the the known impact out of Smith, but at the end of the day, if you didn't sign him and just said, well, the competition between Oboyee and Fisher, you're getting probably the same quality of play as you would if you forced Andre Smith back at $3 million a year again. So um, I'm with that if you're saying we don't need that. So say they go that route, they resign Bodine. They're like, ah, we'll let Redman and Westerman fight out right guard, which, again, I'm not totally against because mm-hmm. I'd like to see them play. And then they say, McGlinchey's our left tackle. Onward. Here we go. I would be, you know, I'd be really disappointed to think that one guy added to this offensive line is going to fix it. Now you do obviously change up the coach, and that may make the world of difference. Uh, he may make Bodine into a good player. He may make Westerman into a good player. He may make Oblee and Fisher into a good player. But they cannot bank on those outcomes because if they go another year with trying those guys and it fails again, this, this team is getting older. I mean, <laughs> their core players, your Andy Deltons, your A.J. Greens, your Vontaze Burfix, your Ekins, and, and Dunlaps are getting older. It's, you've got If this is a two-year plan on the offensive line to completely rebuild it, you need to get core pieces in there now. And whether that's center and left tackle or, or right guard and center or even a right tackle and a right guard, whatever the case may be, you need to get two guys in there that you can build around that will be future to this offensive line.
2: He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Is there any other... Thoughts as far as the even free agency goes, as far as the offensive line that you you want to kind of throw here. Obviously, we'll talk more about the offensive line. That's the hot topic number one between now and the draft. But is there anything else you want to throw out there before I uh, I let you go, Joe?
0: Not so much for offensive line, um but with free agency right on the corner, and they have. I I'm also counting down to hear word that they're not picking up the option on Man Jones because. I think we should hear something, and I think it's a no-brainer. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't put it past this organization to keep him for whatever reason. But it, everything makes sense for them to let him go and, and let him walk, and in that, that that could include bringing him back at two and a half, three, three and a half, four million dollars, but not at six point nine million. Um, you want to clear some cap space. You want to be able to move around and, and, and play a little bit and sign and some guys. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Drop <laughs> that option and. and Bring in some guys.
2: You sound nervous. I'm
1: very nervous. I'm waiting to see. It was supposed
2: to happen, Mike.
0: Right. (laughs) I mean, all we can do is say, this team does this. This team usually likes this. The team operates this. That's the stuff you usually read from, like, the beat reporters, and I understand it. But I still think it's part of the job of analysts or writers or, or radio guys to say, but it's a stupid move, but you can't do this. Yes. But normal teams would have moved on from this guy. And I think that's what we're talking about here in these situations. There are guys, you can list three or four guys on this roster right now that would save the Bengals a good chunk of money that other teams would have either moved on already or would be wasting no time right now moving on from them. And the Bengals have not yet, and it makes me very nervous.
2: It does. It does, especially because that could mean the right tackle I want them to get or the insert whatever player you want them to go get they could get. Uh, He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work at The Athletic. You know the fun part about this, Joe, is listeners are are listening to this now, and they have no idea uh, about the 20 minutes we spent before recording this. Yeah. yeah, that they're going to hear on tomorrow's podcast.
0: Yeah, it was a good back and forth. You got a lot of good, uh, good ideas, James. I want—I'm going to interview you and ask you a bunch of questions next time.
2: I'm in for that. Can we do that next week? Uh, yeah, we can do that. So stay tuned for that. That coming up next week. He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter as always at Joe Goodberry. Good stuff from him. Uh, Joe works for the Athletic and he has uh, a lot of stuff up that he he posts. And Twitter's the the place to get that. By the way, tomorrow. You're going to hear, and I hinted at it, uh, but tomorrow's podcast, yes, I will talk. Yes, you'll get me. You're also going to get the, um, whatever you want to call it. I, I still don't have the nickname for it. We've done it a couple times, but Joe and I, we spent before this, we're like 30 minutes deep into this podcast. Before Joe came on, we talked for like 20 minutes about the Bengals. And that conversation, which is a little different, we're not diving in. To prospect by prospect by prospect and giving you the names and stuff it's still insightful a little more back and forth joe and i and uh that'll be on the podcast tomorrow so i look forward to that i like when we do those sometimes we just don't have time <laughs> or like if i'm catching him like if i'm in on 15 30 and i have him on uh, the show when i'm hosting well then we we can't banter back and forth for 20 minutes mid-show but, uh yeah, that you'll hear that tomorrow. We'll get you up to date on all the latest Bengals free agency news, and Joe and I we go back and forth about that too about this Chris Baker sign, and I run by my my theory of eh, <laughs> that I've led the the podcast with today. Uh, it's great to have you in until tomorrow. you can subscribe Spotify, Google play, um all the everywhere. Honestly, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, LockedOnBengals.com. Mock draft up there now. So is an offseason plan. You combined them together, I'm thinking playoffs in 2018. Am I crazy? Check them out, LockedOnBengals.com. Until tomorrow, I'm James Irpene, and thank you for listening to the Locked On Bengals Podcast.